It's good to be back here with you at Spring Cypress Presbyterian Church. It's been a little while since I've been here. It's always good to be here and fellowship with you. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn them to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 10. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10. Jesus began speaking to them, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf come, coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon. And is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, 
These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At the feast of dedication, which took place at Jerusalem, Jesus went there, and it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnades of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Beloved, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of Almighty God endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time that we could gather in your house to worship your holy name. We worship you, our great triune God, simply for who you are, eternal, unchangeable, in your being, wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. We thank you, Father, for your great love for us. And Lord, we need to be reminded again today just how great the love of the Good Shepherd is for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you willingly lay down the glory you shared with the Father. You took on human flesh, and you came not for friends, but for enemies. So let us hear now by your Spirit the voice of the Good Shepherd. May we be comforted where we need to be comforted. May you prick us in our hearts and in our souls where we need to be made uncomfortable. May your word take deep root in us today, all for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. In the heart of every man, woman, boy and girl, lives the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the Creator, not a Creator, the Creator. And we know that because the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 1 that that's so. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, who is them, that is us, that's all of us who's ever lived, all of human beings. It is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so Paul's point is, is that we are without excuse. 
God has clearly revealed his eternal power and divine nature in creation. Therefore, human beings, by virtue of being made in his image, possess an innate knowledge of their creator. That's what Romans 1 is telling us. Now, theologians have a term for this innate knowledge, and it is sensus divinitatis, and that's about all the Latin I know. Hey, uh, fella in the back in the booth, can you give me a little bit more volume? Sensus divinitatis, the innate knowledge of God as creator. The famous American poet Walt Whitman once said, listen to these words. Whitman once said, in the face of men and women, I see God. That is a remarkably honest statement from a man who was not a Christian but a deist. And yet we know that this knowledge, which we call general revelation, that's what I'm talking about, general revelation, that revelation about God that we are given in creation, we know that that's not enough for salvation. We need more. If we are going to know God, not only as creator, but if we are going to be in personal relationship with God, if we are going to experience his redemptive power, we must have special revelation. And God has given us special revelation through his word and through his son. Moreover, not only do we need special revelation, but we need the work of the Spirit in us so that we might understand the revelation that's been given to us. We must be brought from death unto life. We must experience regeneration. We must experience new birth, which the Spirit brings. And it is only then that we can experience a relationship with God. In our text today, we are introduced to two different types of people. The first group are those who know God as creator. They know God as the God of their forefathers. They possess his law, but they do not know him as Savior. They are those who Jesus speaks of as those, or they are those who Jesus points out as the ones who do not belong to his flock. Now, I want you to catch this. Did you hear what I just said, that they had knowledge of him as creator, but their knowledge of God went beyond that? They had knowledge of God as the God of their forefathers, and as the giver of the divine law, they were religious people. But they did not know God as Savior. The second group are those who know God because they are Jesus' sheep. They know and recognize Jesus' voice because they are known by him. 
they recognize the voice of Jesus and who he is because they are known by Jesus. That's important. And it's important to point out as well that those who claimed to know God and speak for God were many, many of them were the ones in authority in the church in Jesus' day. And it seems as you read through the Gospels that the ones that followed Jesus and were known by Jesus and knew Jesus were often the outcasts. They knew Jesus because they were known by Jesus. We're going to come back to that. The main point of our text this morning can be summarized in four points. And these are the points. Jesus knows his sheep. Jesus is known by his sheep. Jesus provides for his sheep. And Jesus protects and preserves his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep. Jesus is known by his sheep. Jesus provides for his sheep. And Jesus protects and preserves his sheep. Okay, let's get started. Jesus knows his sheep. Let's jump into our text. Do you notice how Jesus starts this text? And he does it twice. In chapter 10, verse 1, we read it. And then again in verse 7, we read, Truly, truly. This is Jesus' way of underlining what he's about to say. This is Jesus' way of putting it in italics or in bold. Man, it's like when you're driving down the road and you look at your phone and you realize you got a text from your wife and it's in all caps. You know to pull the car over, read the text, and do exactly what she's telling you to do. Jesus is putting this in all caps. He's saying, listen closely. This is pivotal. What I'm telling you, this is foundational. This is very important for you to understand. Don't miss it. And this is what he says. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He says it to everyone that's listening. But he's speaking directly to those who, are, who know him because they're known by him and to those who he will save at a later time. Jesus is saying, listen very closely to how I describe myself here because it is going to be Absolutely important for you to understand it as you go through the mountaintops and the valleys of life. As you traverse this life with its trials and its temptations and its ups and its downs and in all of its vicissitudes, you must need, you need to know, you must know, I am the door. 
I am the good shepherd. Truly, truly, Jesus says to them, I know my sheep. Why does Jesus know his sheep? Well, there's a lot of different ways you could get at that, but John tells us in John chapter 6 why he knows his sheep. And John, in John chapter 6, around verse 35, 6, and 7, he says, I know my sheep because they are a gift to me from my Father. I know my sheep because all that the Father gives to me, they will come to me. Now, I don't know how long you've been in this church. I don't know how long you've been a Presbyterian. But you know what I'm underlining here if you've been a Presbyterian for any length of time. What I'm talking about is the doctrine of election. My son, I was catechizing my son, and he stopped me one day and he said, Dad, this is good, but this is kind of easy. Can you take me through the Westminster Confession of Faith? Now, you could have blown on me and knocked me over at that point. I, I did not see that coming. And so I begin to take him through the Westminster Confession of Faith very slowly. We haven't gotten very far because I'm going line by line. And I can't believe that I'm taking a 14-year-old uh, young man through it. And I didn't get around to it until my 20s. But nevertheless, we got to the doctrine of election. And it greatly disturbed him. And it disturbed him because he has friends and he has loved ones that are not believers. And I gently explained to him, or, well, I hope I did, as gently as I know how, that, son, those people that you care about, their story is not over. They, they may be a goat right now, but God may have a plan to make him make them his sheep. And he said, but dad, what if, what if he doesn't? And I said, well, I can't answer that because that's above my pay grade, son. But what I can tell you is that for the believer, for the sheep, the doctrine of election is an opportunity to bow and to worship. When we can't figure out, when we cannot penetrate with our minds the deep things of God, we must stop where Scripture stops. And we can't figure out that God, how to reconcile the fact that God is sovereign, yet man is responsible. It is an opportunity for us to bow and to worship the living God and to give thanks. God, I don't know why you chose a sinner like me. But I'm sure glad you did. Jesus knows his sheep because they are a gift from his Father. 
Jesus knows them, for they have entered into eternal life. Look at verse 7. Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus knows his sheep because they are a gift from the Father. They are a gift from the Father because before time began, the Father had chosen those that he would save through the redemptive work of his Son, bringing them through the power of the Spirit to the Son to give glory to God Almighty. And then in time, he sends Jesus to be the door. Jesus knows his own because they have come through him, and he is, as we know, the only way, the only truth, the only life. When I was a hospital chaplain, I worked with evangelicals and liberal Protestants and one Muslim, and I really got along with that Muslim, and he was not a conservative Muslim, not theologically anyway. He was really what I would consider a universalist. And he said to me one day in a meeting, you know, Paul, I really like you, but there's one thing that just really irks me, and I knew what he was going to say before he said it. And he said, Paul, you, you claim that Jesus is the only way to God. And I looked at him and I gave him the simplest response that I knew how to give. And I said, sir, I say that because he is the only way to God. Jesus knows his sheep because they're a gift from the Father. Jesus knows his sheep for they have entered into relationship with God through him. And Jesus knows his sheep because his sheep love him. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he who loves God is known by God. And he who loves God loves God because he has entered through the gate which is Jesus, and he has entered through the gate, which is Jesus, because he has been chosen by God. Therefore, he is known by God. The question before us today, the question, the most important question you will an ever answer is, are you a sheep or are you a goat? Jesus knows his sheep. Number two, Jesus is known by his sheep. His sheep recognize his voice and they follow him and another they will not follow. Now, Jesus talks a lot about thieves and robbers here or he brings it up and he talks about the wolf. Now, I didn't grow up Presbyterian and I can guarantee that I could I could just lob a nickel out into the congregation, and I know I'd hit a Baptist somewhere or someone that used to be a Baptist. 
And I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up with the understanding that the wolf and the thief and the robber was who? Yeah, y'all are true Presbyterians. You won't talk. It was the devil. I know you know, brother. It was the devil. Now, big picture, yes, that's not a bad answer, big picture. But Jesus has someone, some, a group of people, rather, specifically in mind here. Now, scholars will say that Jesus is talking about those who come before him and those who will come after him who are false messiahs. And that very well, that may very well be part of what Jesus is talking about, but I do not think that that is who Jesus has in mind. And the reason I say that is because where John 10 falls, this teaching on the Good Shepherd, is preceded by a story about a man born blind and who was blind from birth. And Jesus heals this man, and the religious leaders are beside themselves over the fact that this man has been healed. Now, remember, the religious leaders were to be the shepherds of God's people, just like the prophets were and the priests in the Old Testament. That's who the religious leaders were to be. They were the preachers of Jesus' day. They sat in the seat of Moses. They were to teach and to care for the people. Jesus heals this man and then just disappears. I don't mean in the thin air. I just mean he leaves. And the religious leaders are running around trying to figure out who has information on this man. And the people are confused. They say, no, it can't be the man born blind. It must be a man who looks like him. It's his doppelganger. And then they run to the parents. And the parents are questioned. And the parents don't want to give an honest answer because they know the Pharisees and they know the, the way they are. And they don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue because then get, there goes their community. So they begin to question this man. They begin to pepper him. And his answer is the same every time. A man named Jesus. I don't know anything else about him. A man named Jesus healed me. And they are angry and upset and irritated. And they say, it is not lawful for a man to work on the Sabbath. Now, I can tell you right now that they did not care about the Sabbath. Not really. Because Jesus had exposed them already about that. He asked them one time, you, if you had an ox that went into the ditch, which one of you wouldn't go and pull them out? They didn't care about the Sabbath. They cared about their position, their prestige, and their power. They cared about their name and their reputation. They were in it for what they could get out of it. That's how you can always tell a wolf, a thief, and a robber from a true under-shepherd. Is he in it because God's called him to do it? Because God's hand is on his life? Or is he in it for the title? 
And they knew that Jesus had just shown them up. They didn't care that this man would have died blind if Jesus wouldn't have healed him. All they cared about was their position and power. And so they asked him again, who did this? And the man, I love the man's response. Oh, do you too want to become his disciple? And this they would not have. You were born in sin, completely a sinner. We sit in the seat of Moses. Who are you to instruct us? You're no longer in. You're out. And then Jesus comes back after the dust has settled. And do you know, remember what he says to the man? He says to the man, and I'm paraphrasing here. Go back and read it when you go home. Do you believe in the Messiah? And the man says to Jesus, tell me who he is that I might worship him, that I might believe. And Jesus said, the one who is speaking to you, I am he. And the man bowed and worshiped. Not only do we see we see two miracles in that story. We see a man receiving his physical sight. And then we see a man, that same man, receiving his spiritual sight. The miracle touch of the good shepherd. He recognized the voice of the good shepherd because the spirit of God had brought him from death unto life. And every sheep in Jesus's flock hears the voice of the great I am and they follow him. Do you remember what John said about those who leave us? They leave us because they were never truly a part of us. We pray that they'll come back. We'll, we pray that God would restore them to the flock. But if they leave and follow wolves and thieves and robbers, they do so because they never recognized, they never heard the voice of the good shepherd, even sitting under the preached word. They didn't recognize it. And friend, I'm telling you today, if you read this book, and all it is is ink on a page. All it is is history. All it is to you is great literature. Then you have never heard the voice of the good shepherd. But for all who have heard the voice of the good shepherd, we must, we have to have this word. We can't live without it. And when we separate ourselves from it, we know we are starving ourselves. And we leave the 99. But this is the difference between those whose God, who God has marked out to be his own and those he hasn't. When we leave the 99, the good shepherd grabs his staff and he comes in hot pursuit 
for that one. We recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd. He is the great I am. Third, Jesus provides for his sheep. Jesus says, I lead them to pasture and I give them abundant life. And he says this numerous times, I lay down my life for my sheep. No one takes it from me. I willingly lay it down. And if I willingly lay it down, I have authority to take it up again. Brothers and sisters, what you are seeing flowing out of Jesus is his love for you. His love for you. It is like the old, great old hymn, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned him from sin. How much does Jesus love you? This is how much. He hung on a cruel Roman cross. He hung there until the sun refused to shine. He hung there suspended between heaven and hell. He hung there till angels turned their heads and wept. He hung there till he took upon the sin of all that he would save. He hung there until he was forsaken. He hung there until the mission was accomplished. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. Jesus provides for his sheep through his substitutionary atonement work, but that's not the only way he provides for us. He provides for us by sustaining us in life's difficulties. We've talked a lot about or some about the word know. We're known by him and we know him. A deep longing of the human heart is to be known. Do you know that if you belong to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows you perfectly? The reason I say that is he is acquainted with your ways because his pathway of righteousness is his way. And he graciously takes us who we are simultaneously saints and sinners and he puts us on a righteous on his righteous path. And even when we stray, he is so committed to us. Even as we run through the labyrinths and the avenues of our hidden sins, Jesus is pursuing us through those avenues by his spirit. He will not let you go. He provides he knows us, we know him, he provides for us. 
And finally, he protects us. How does Jesus protect us? He guides, he protects, he leads, he feeds, he brings us into good pasture. I don't know where you are right now in your life. I don't know if you're coming out of a dark time or headed into one. I don't know what temptations you face. I know what I face. And I have seen the faithfulness of my good shepherd over and over. I'm not a young man anymore. I know I'm younger than a lot of y'all, but I'm 45 now. And if my family history is any indication, then most of my years are over. And I've learned this, that even when I want to get away from God, even when I want to escape the Good Shepherd, He is so committed to me he will bring me back every time. I love the hymn. I think it's a Gettys hymn. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast, precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast, raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. Christian, take heart. Believer, hold fast. You're in the hands and the arms of the good shepherd. And no one can snatch you from the hands of Almighty God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Oh, Jesus, I say before my brothers and sisters, thank you for coming after this lost sheep. Thank you for rescuing me. Lord, if there are those under the sound of my voice this morning, that do not know you. Oh, good shepherd, I ask that you would go and rescue them. Grant unto them eternal life and do what only you can do. Raise the dead. In Jesus' name, amen.